Hello and welcome to another episode of Work Beyond Mac, a podcast that explores how people get work done on their iPad. I'm your host, Jason Cipriani, and on this episode of Work Beyond Mac, I'm going to talk to a college professor who works primarily on Apple's tablet. Now, I don't know about you, but any college professor who teaches from an iPad sounds pretty cool to me. But before I welcome today's guest, I just want to take a few seconds to thank Work Beyond Mac's first sponsor, Kensington. They're sponsoring this episode of the podcast, so if you have never checked out any of their iPad accessory line, please be sure to do that at kensington.com. And now I'd like to welcome Professor Jeff Pooley to the show. Is Professor okay, or is it Dr. Pooley? (laughs) What do you want me to call you? Uh, Thanks for the invitation, Jason, and uh, uh, Jeff will do just fine. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I never know Uh, what the formalities are for that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's an ongoing issue with my undergraduates, but I actually try to um, convince them to stop using doctor and professor once they graduate (laughs) and find that they almost never can get rid of the habit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a level of respect that's earned there. So good for them. Good for them. But thanks for taking some time out of your day. I truly, truly appreciate it uh, for you coming on the show and talking to us. If you can, and and if you would, please take a few seconds just to introduce yourself so the listeners have a better idea of who you are and what it is you do. Sure. I am uh, an academic, so I um, do a lot of teaching. I'm in a Department of Media Studies, so I teach classes on things like social media and the self uh, and data and society, that sort of thing. So I'm also, though, a writer, and I write academic papers and occasionally stuff for more popular outlets. And then the last sort of third of my triptych is that I have a small nonprofit publishing operation. It's called mediastudies.press. It's pretty fledgling, but it produces open access um, books that are in the same academic field of media studies. Sound like a busy person. Yeah, I I am pretty busy. Uh, I've taught at Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania uh, for the last 18 years. Uh, And uh, so mixed together the the teaching of undergraduates, it's um, about 2000 students and the, the academic writing, and then some of this publishing work. Wow. So the last time we talked quickly on the phone, you had just received like two feet worth of snow. And now we've had the country in this big cold snap for the last few days here. Are you guys, how are you guys holding up up there? It's uh, quite a swell here too. Um, there, there's uh, lots of snow today. And, and this has made the halting attempt uh, to return to campus actually for this semester a little bit tough. Uh, I had intended actually to teach my classes in person, at least in part, uh, which I'm happy to talk about. And the um, the snow has uh, thwarted that attempt so far. Yeah. My kids just had a rough week of school where they had a two-hour delay, a, a snow day, another two-hour delay. And then, you know, it was just, it was a worthless week at school for them. But I digress. We'll get back to the topic at hand here. So um, I guess let's start with what iPad you're currently using. What's your current setup? I have a 12.9 inch uh, third generation iPad Pro. And I have that set up with uh, the Magic Keyboard, um, which is utterly game changing. And I also have um, the second generation Apple Pencil with it. Awesome. Yeah. So it's the complete kit then. I have actually the same exact setup. I did not upgrade to the 2020 model. Um, I just, it it was good enough for me. I I could have, but my 2018 model was working just fine for me. So I I kept with it, Um, but I plan on upgrading it the first chance I get. But it sounds like 
that setup is, you know, well-rounded for you. But I, I guess I want to go back a little bit and, and talk to you about where you started with iPad. You know, did you start with the original iPad and iPad Air? You know, what was that journey like for you when you first started using it? And maybe go through the moment when you realized that you could actually get a bit of work done on it. Yeah, it's a good question. I grew up in an Apple family, you know, not far from Cupertino, as it turns out. And uh, so we had the whole range of Macs um, growing up. And I was a bit of an obnoxious, you know, evangelist, even during those dark years um, in the 1990s, when the company seemed to be on the brink, and then witnessed that sort of remarkable um, decade of Steve Jobs' return. And uh, I, you know, I purchased an iPad when it was first um, released in 2010. And I've had most of the iPads since, or at least before they started proliferating into different models. But yeah. I didn't, like most people, realize that it was good for much work. In fact, you know, I was more um, tethered to my Mac in the first couple of years. And I started to um, notice uh, someone who I think probably is known to at least some of your uh, listeners, which is this um, MacStories.net founder named Federico Fittici, uh, Italian guy who, partly for health reasons, started using his, at the time, I think, iPad mini. Yeah, it was. Uh, as of, yeah, it was like 2012, I want to say, maybe late in the year when he started writing about that anyway. And he was in the hospital and he started um, almost by necessity treating that as his main computer. And he's a really gifted writer and also incredibly inventive. Uh, and and I would say persistent, and he <laughs> yes, you know, slowly wore me down. And by slowly, I just mean that over the course of 2013, uh, I thought about it. I still was using my Mac uh, most of the time, and it was basically when that I think it was an iPad Mini Retina that came out uh, in late nine, uh, 2013. I might have the date slightly wrong, but around that time, I purchased one of those and used that to make my first attempt to switch over, which to, to me sounds hilarious now. I can't imagine doing with um, that little real estate, right. but I really did. Yeah, I really did try to use it um, as my only computer already. And I would say that that was um, a, a faltering and only half successful attempt until a little bit later in 2014, I got an iPad Air. Sure. Um, and I really went all in. I was listening to and reading Frederico's stuff. I was really into editorial, if you remember that um, half abandoned, but but at the time sort of automation king. Uh, in fact, I think Vitici might've written a book about it. Um, so I was trying to use that text tool. Uh, and there was, if you remember X callback URL, the, yep. the sort of workaround to stitch apps together. I think Greg Pierce at uh, Agile Tortoise had worked on that. Um, and I think when, if I'm remembering correctly, this was 2014, th this was uh, iOS 7. And I remember that the, when iOS 8 came out, that the share sheet, there's the very fact of being able to communicate in that basic way between apps, um, uh, um, or at least kind of like get them out of their individual sandboxes came around. And that that happened, I believe, in the fall of 2014 when iOS 8 came around. And, and that was a big um, turning point for making it work. And then the next, I guess, spring, when I saw WWDC and they kind of previewed 
um, iOS 9, I was um, completely um, enthralled by the idea of multitasking. I think that was the first um, half-baked attempt. And I uh, went ahead and created a developer account just so I could really uh, test that out. And, you know, I've, I've done that ever since and often rude that decision <laughs> uh, based on the bugginess of the um, uh, year's yeah. release. But either way, I mean, in that case, I couldn't resist. And by that point, so we were kind of heading into, you know, 2015, um, I was off to the races. And, uh, and, and then I think it was that fall, if I'm not mistaken, that's when the iPad Pro came out, the fall of 2015, the first generation. And I instantly got that the first day it was available and um, have been on that train ever, ever since. Like I said, I, I did uh, skip the, the second generation. And like you, I didn't find this like fourth generation with the LiDAR and a few other things um, sufficiently attractive to yeah. make the jump. But I will, the moment the, the next, uh, I guess it would be the fifth comes out and it could be, I guess, based on some rumors not long from now, I will um, jump on that uh, and and be purchasing it um, the, the, the first moment it's available, probably setting an alarm or something like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I remember being at the Apple event where the first iPad Pro was announced. I was I was, uh, as the listeners know, I'm a freelance writer, and as you know, for a lot of publications. And at the time, I was working for Fortune. I had a weekly uh, column that I would write about various stuff, and I was fortunate enough to get invited to that event. And I remember walking in, like, you know, they go through the whole thing on stage, and they're, they're demonstrating the iPad Pro, and I'm going, okay, it doesn't look too bad. And then I walk into the demo room where they have the iPads laid out, and there's this massive screen with iOS icons and all this free space. And it, it, you know, it, it still had a home button. So it, the screen was huge, but the iPad was even bigger. And I just remember thinking of how comically big the iPad was at that point. And like, who is ever going to truly use this now? And I had already been using the iPad to work on, but to me, it just, it just felt out of place. And then eventually I, I got a review unit and sat down and spent some quality time with it. And after that, it, you know, I've tried making the 11 inch iPad Air or iPad Pro work. I've tried making the other, you know, the new iPad, the fourth generation iPad Air work for me. I just can't do the smaller displays now. And so, yeah, I'm with you on it. You know, the first iPad Pro I bought, the second iPad Pro I bought, I upgraded to the third, ready to upgrade to the fifth. But, you know, that that's actually a really good story of how you got started because a lot of people either accidentally stumble into it where they find an app or a service that works for them, or it's a continuous just build up to the point where, okay, now I'm going to do it. So it sounds like you're, you're pretty well versed in all of what's going on with Apple and iPad OS updates um, and apps for that matter. I mean, if you remember the XURL callback, that that's legit, man. <laughs> like not a lot of people even know that term or even what that is or what it did, which allowed you to invoke other portions of other apps um, as long as the app supported it, which was really cool. So I guess you you wear a lot of hats, right? You just walked us through all the different stuff you do um, it's throughout your work uh, workflows. So I, I guess, why don't you pick one of them, whether it's teaching or, you know, the publishing or whatever else you want to do and walk us through it. And, you know, we can walk through all of them if you want, but why don't you pick one and, and just kind of just give us an idea of what you use for apps, anything you use to get the job done. Yeah, sure. Why don't I even start with talking about the classroom? I mean, I know most of your listeners probably aren't teachers, but we're all presenting in various ways now. And Absolutely. yes, some of my 
Yeah, my teaching is over Zoom, but I'm going to just quickly take you through what I would do in the in-person classroom, which I hope someday to return to. And what I like to do is carry around my iPad with me um, and not be tethered to the podium. Like most uh, college classrooms now, the, the ones I teach in have big screens that you can hook up to any computer you have, or there's one built in, but I want to be able to carry my iPad with me. And so I purchased a strap that I will send the link to you to Perfect. that um, I detach my iPad from the keyboard in, for this and have the iPad um, on my left hand. And it's almost like I'm a cyborg, I feel like, um, <laughs> with this uh, walking around. And I have the Apple Pencil on the magnetic top. Um, and what I do in order to make sure that there won't be disruptions and that I'm not dependent on, on some Wi-Fi connection is I have an old third generation Apple TV that I just use to um, basically connect to that uh, um, podium and the screen. That is, you know, I just plug that Apple TV into an HDMI and use whatever over the air connection that Apple provides um, through, through AirPlay basically. And uh, th that's how I connect. So I can walk around and I'll usually toggle between Keynote, um, the I, you know, iWork presentation app uh, on the one hand. I'll also move over to GoodNotes, which is one of the, the better note-taking apps that has really good Apple Pencil support. So if I want to use the iPad as a kind of, I don't know, chalkboard equivalent, uh, I'll, I'll use that usually and then pull out my pencil. And the third app I might toggle between is a app called PDF Viewer. Um, it's one of the strong contenders for like a full powered PDF app um, for the iPad, but I, I prefer it to the others because it integrates into the native file browser uh, and file picker and so on. So anyway, I mean, I'll use that just to highlight passages that students, you know, elect to bring up as, as a, something that resonated with them and I'll, I'll highlight it with a pencil or circle it and that kind of thing. So that's really what I do is I kind of rotate between these three apps in the classroom. And it's sort of the same on Zoom, uh, uh, although I'll mention that uh, one of the new limitations of the iPad and one of the reasons I do have a Mac, a Mac mini, um, is that I, I can't really use Zoom in the teaching context on the Apple, uh, on the iPad, just because the, um, well, the camera's on the wrong side. Right. And it's also true that the app sort of, and this is really an iOS limitation, it's not Zoom's fault, but that you can't multitask while you're using Zoom. Um, and so I, I will in the remote context have like a um, Zoom on my Mac, but then I share to my iPad. And then I really do rotate between the same three apps while I'm teaching for the most part, um, just uh, on my iPad, which is off to my side. So that's the, the teaching uh, workflow for me, typically. Let, let me ask you a question real quick about about what you just said, because that, that was interesting to me. So to share the screen of your iPad, do you then join the meeting as another participant from your iPad? Or like, how, do, how does that workflow work? Yeah, you know, this, uh, I, I actually just have the one account um, normally when I'm teaching remote, um, which is to say that I just share my screen as the 
host of the meeting and you know I, I don't have a second account. However, you mentioned uh, the 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 kind of in-person teaching. I did manage to have one session and I had some students who were remote, some students who were in the class. So this was kind of fun. I did create a second Zoom account. Awesome. I had a tripod I, I bought off of Amazon and I'll send the, this link, uh, a motorized tripod mount that I could then put my iPhone on. That was um, logged on to a secondary Zoom account. And the, that Zoom account had its audio off, but was facing the students in the classroom, the, you know, the live students. And yeah. I had a remote control to pivot or um, the, the iPad's camera. And then the classroom by this point now has a, a camera facing the instructor. So that's on me. And that's on the main Zoom account with the audio on. And then the students uh, who are remote are on the big screen via that same um, uh, Apple TV uh, um, AirPlay. AirPlay, yeah. Yeah, so so uh, though it's a little weird for sure, I'm, I'm like tempted to look at the students at this, uh, on the big screen who are remote and really I should be looking at the camera. Um, <laughs> it worked. Like they, yeah. those students could see me, they could see their fellow students in person and they could hear it all. So uh, that's that that's sort of the, um, the, the makeshift adaptive way I've tried to deal with the strange circumstances. It's so creative, such a creative setup, Jeff. I just, I mean, that's a lot of work that goes into it. But once you nail it, 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 like you said, it just works, and the students are able to see everything that they should and hear everything that they can. It, it's awesome, like that you're able to figure that out. Yeah, it's it's uh, almost a necessity of the moment, um, but I think sure. it will turn out to be useful in the future because I've had students for over a decade who have some sickness and can't be in class. And I have up to this point, like asked a fellow student to hold an iPhone or something like that. And even once we're all maskless and back in person and the rest, I think this will turn out to be a great way to keep students who can't be in, in the session um, involved. That's awesome. So you also mentioned, I think you said it was a nonprofit, right? For your publisher. Why don't, what, what's your, workflow for that or your writing workflow. Um, let's dive into that a little bit. Sure. I mean, maybe I'll just mention that as a, as a researcher working with a lot of archival documents and then published pieces, I'm really enmeshed in the world of PDFs. Um, and I already talked a little bit about PDF Viewer, which is great for working inside the file browser uh, and making annotations and so on. But the main app that I use for all of my research workflow is um, DevonThink. And it's well known as a Mac app. It's longstanding. Uh, and it has a, a, a good and as of the last week, much better um, iOS, iPadOS app called DevonThink to go. Um, and it, it did, I've been on the beta for a while, but this new release just came out and it, it basically now supports most of the iOS 14 and 13 features like multi-window and great context menus and, and maybe most importantly, like incredible shortcuts integration. Um, and I use that app all the time. Uh, it, I probably have 10,000 PDFs in there. Some wow. of them are like archival documents that I will go and use like um, Snapbot or another scanning app to literally stand over um, a yellowing onion skin document <laughs> from the forties yeah. and take a picture of it and later stitch it together and put it in DevonThink. And the reason I like DevonThink so much is even though I don't use it on the Mac whatsoever, and certain features don't 
port over to the iPad. It is, first of all, you can, for people who don't know it, it basically is organized as um, individual databases. So I have topical ones, but it allows you to tag uh, um, PDFs and you can bring in lots of other file types. It doesn't need to be PDFs, but that happens to be my main interest. And maybe the most important thing is that it does a full text index, assuming that you have these PDFs OCR'd. Uh, and there, there is a, a, an engine built in to this new iOS version, but I, it's, it's not good enough. And I'll mention in a minute what I use on the Mac instead, but its search is amazing. You really? can, with the um, advanced features, you can say, I want to find a document that has this last name within 150 words of this other word. Really? And it, it will search the entire uh, text of all 10,000 um, PDFs. And so for, for the kind of historical work that I do, I sometimes write about the history of media research. I can find all of these things that are either in the archives I've looked at, but I've long forgotten or in the other books I've scanned. So Devin think I use that all the time. Um, for writing itself, um, I do write Markdown that John Gruber created. Um, it's so good, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine not writing in Markdown now, and it's it's really getting to be such a mainstream skill. I'm even teaching right. it to my students. Are you um, really? Convincing, yeah, I'm trying to convince them that it's a skill that any media and communication major should should have. I mean, not so much that they're going to necessarily be web writers, which was kind of its original yeah. purpose, um, but even for uh, since so many Markdown tools now will export in all kinds of formats, it's not even just... Um, and a, a kind of um, text to HTML conversion tool. It's like a, a all-purpose writing is. technology that you can then throw out into like a word format or a PDF or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I, but I use uh, IA Writer, which is a pretty longstanding text editor that has lots of good features for writers. And I also like, I tend to like apps that use the native or integrated with the file system. Um, the files app on on iPad OS. So, and I like that it it's really carefully designed. It has great markdown previews and and great great exports. You can even create your own custom templates for the PDFs and so on. So, I've used that for quite a number of years. Um, and then the the uh, uh, I do a lot of oral histories. So I won't go into detail about this, but I interview scholars who are. Um, at the end of their careers, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and so for 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 that, I, I use transcription software called Otter, which is cross-platform. Yeah. Um, and and then there's a nice app that's um, iPad OS called Dictation that I use to edit those um, transcripts. So um, those are uh, the the you know maybe the main. Um, tools I use. You'll often find me with IA Writer on split screen on the left and DevonThink on the right as I um, try to tap out some words in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So I actually use IA Writer as well. I've used it probably since it launched, in all honesty. So, and that is, it was right when I first started working on the iPad. I, I think I was using the Notes app, or it maybe had been Pages at the time, trying to write articles. And I kept getting frustrated with the way when I would copy out of pages into a CMS for someone I was writing for with the way the formatting would come out. And so I kept thinking there has to be like a basic text editor that strips away all this junk that big 
you know, word processing apps like Pages and Word add to all your text. And I ended up finding IA Writer. Something in the in the uh, app notes said, you know, we, we support Markdown. And then I just went down this giant rabbit hole of what is Markdown? And here's a dirty little secret. So if you if you write for a website, you're expected to have a basic understanding of how to write in HTML. The links break, images. There's all these little things you have to troubleshoot from time to time when stuff doesn't properly format when it's published or as you're previewing it before it's published. And I had a good understanding of it, but I really didn't like breaking out of writing an article to write HTML and then go back to writing text for the article. It it broke the workflow up too much for me. So I printed out every page of every markdown command (laughs) and I taped them to the wall next to my desk. And I spent the next month learning everything I could about markdown. And now IA Writer is what I solely write in. I export everything as HTML or sometimes formatted text, which you can do with, you know, with ease. Um, the keyboard shortcuts make it really easy to copy the text either way already formatted, and I can paste it in the CMS. But the thing that blows my mind the most about Markdown is not a lot of journalists know about it. So I'm glad you're teaching your students about it, because when I tell someone, hey, I, you know, I wrote this in Markdown, I don't ever write in the CMS, which is like the number one rule, right? Because it's going to crash. You're writing in a browser at that point and it's going to crash and you're going to lose your work at the worst possible time. Uh, you know, so when I tell colleagues, I, I, I write in Markdown inside a different app and I copy and paste it in HTML or formatted text, it just blows their mind. They're like, what's Markdown? So you're right though. It is becoming ubiquitous. GitLab, GitHub, all use it in their documentation. Reddit supports it in your comments. Like you could write a comment and format it for HTML using Markdown. Like it's, it's become a mainstream way of writing very rich text without having to know weird commands or having a overly bloated application to do it, which I think is great. Uh, so yeah, big fan of IA Raider myself. I've tried drafts and I've recently tried switching over to drafts. Um, I don't know. Have, do you have any experience with it? Yeah, I love drafts too. And I use it quite a lot. Um, it, it, I would just say, first of all, yes, about Barkdown and both that it's so useful and yet it hasn't fully penetrated lots of worlds like journalism, also yeah. like the academic world, except in the natural sciences where it does seem to be um, picked up a lot more. But yeah, I, I followed drafts when it was just a, um, a kind of text launcher, the place where your text goes next. Um, and I mentioned Greg Pierce, who's that developer who created it. And it's been around for years now and he has kept developing it so that now it's, you know, really um, Swiss army knife like text editor that you can use. I will say that just the iOS and iPad OS are rich with good text editors that support Markdown. So um, it's almost an embarrassment of riches, but I keep drafts typically in slide over. And it's a place that I use to just park text and maybe do a few things like convert, you know, dumb quotation marks to smart ones, or, um, you know, just do little bits of writing, maybe an email that I'll then copy into another email, into an email app, et cetera. And for that purpose, I find it really useful. And, you know, most of us, myself included, don't know JavaScript and it has in more recent versions um, baked that in so that you can create little workflows that, 
are um, somewhat like shortcuts in that you have some options, not nearly as much, but then also accept JavaScript um, steps if you know how to write uh, in that language. And, and I don't, but I f kind of um, look around on the web or I might be on a forum and I see someone um, paste a, a bit of JavaScript, I save it um, in, awesome. and, and then I, I might use it here and there. So, I, I, and I also kind of link up drafts to shortcuts that are text manipulation shortcuts from the, the shortcuts app that, um, that then kind of do a round trip. And so I find drafts to be pretty indispensable. It's just not where I would do long form writing. Yeah, that's kind of my summation of what drafts is as well. I, I used it years ago and uh, I recently came back to it and saw all these actions are added to it now. And there's a lot of steps you can take to do a lot of manipulation with text and other stuff like you were just saying. It integrates with Fantastical, the Reminders app, all this other stuff. But what I found myself doing the most with it, and this is one of my biggest gripes about iPad OS in general, is that the Mail app doesn't support HTML emails, right? So you writing them, you can't embed a link in line. You have to paste it in, and it just it just is awkward. So what I've been using drafts for is to write HTML, you know, rich text emails, and then as one tap button sends it off, opens the mail app, it's already formatted, ready to go, and you know you could send it. Um, but I agree with you. It's for me the appeal of IA Writer is that it's. There's nothing there. It is a blank canvas with hardly any buttons, if any at all. You know, you, you can really limit them. And I know there's ways to customize that in drafts, but just having that blank slate is so freeing when you sit down and to write an article, even if it's a short one or a long form. For me, at least, that's just my preferred method of, of writing. Now, before we, we jump to the next question I have for you, which is related to shortcuts, I want to take a quick break and play this ad from our sponsor. Today's podcast is sponsored by Kensington, maker of the innovative, award-winning StudioDoc for iPad. If you want to truly get the most from your USB-C-based iPad Pro or iPad Air, then StudioDoc is for you. It's a beautifully designed docking station that your iPad magnetically attaches to. You can use it in portrait or landscape mode, and it charges your entire Apple ecosystem, including Qi wireless devices. It's got tons of expansion ports, and it comes with a three-year warranty. Expand your creativity with Studio Dock. Check it out now at kensington.com, along with their other Apple accessories, including rugged cases, locks, and privacy screens. All right. Okay, Jeff. So uh, there's one area of your daily workflow or your workflow in general that we haven't touched on, and that's your publishing work. So why don't you walk us through if there's any new apps or services that you use for that? Sure. I mean, I won't go into much detail about it because it is pretty specialized, um, but I'll tell you that one tool that's not an app, uh, although there is an iPadOS app that's pretty crappy that I've come to use across all my domains is Airtable, uh, which is this um, mix between a spreadsheet and a database. I'm sure people have heard of it. Uh, it has a pretty good free plan. And with the iOS 13 rethink of Safari for iPad, where it could kind of get desktop class status, yeah. um, it became finally possible to use Airtable in the browser. It's not perfect, but it's much, much better. And so I could um, delete the uh, Airtable app, which is like uh, crippled compared to the original, uh, to the <laughs> online version. It sounds and like Google Sheets. The, like the, yeah. it, work, it works in the browser, but the app is horrible. 
Yeah, I will say that Google Sheets and the rest of the Google apps are even horrible in the browser, but they're worse, yes. I, I would agree apps. with that too. Like, I, I hate using Google Docs, anything on the iPad, but go, go ahead. Agreed. Uh, and uh, so Air, Airtable uh, is you know, just incredibly useful. But the reason I mention it is I'm rarely actually in Safari entering in Airtable or um, pulling stuff out on the browser itself, though I do sometimes, but mainly I interact with it through shortcuts, uh, which started out as Workflow, this independent app, and then Apple acquired it a couple of years ago and has um, baked it into the operating system. Um, I'm sure most listeners are aware of it, but uh, it has this ability to hook into APIs, which sounds really um, technical and frightening, but, uh, but basically Airtable almost alone among major consumer facing softwares, like it um, very simply exposes um, how you would uh, access its data through this you know, API. And you can just search Airtable API and then it somehow knows you're logged in and gives you the instructions to, um, uh, access your tables, and I do it through shortcuts. There's a, an action called get contents of URL. And and some people with better shortcuts wizardry than I have yes. created kind of, um, have created um, ways of pulling down fields from Airtable that I use as basically as a template that, that, um, that you can both kind of read from fields and then write to them, um, if you will, like um, send stuff to the Airtable and grab stuff back. And I use those all the time. I, um, they're like variations on a theme where I'm, I'm just in my teaching, my research, my publishing, I am um, pulling down and throwing stuff back up onto Airtable. And I will um, send the sort of base recipe um, uh, uh, shortcut that I have used to, um, and it's from someone else whose name I don't know right now, um, to to create all of these uh, adaptations from from the um, that to to access my universe of Airtable. So I just say like that has become major. Um, uh, I I also use Craft quite a lot, and this is a new rich text um, note taking app that was released to the public not long ago. Um, it's just gorgeous. It's really, yeah, it beautifully really done. Oh, I, I, I love it. I mean, I could go on and um, about craft forever. I use it, in, for example, in the publishing side to just keep track almost log-like with individual books and the authors I'm going back and forth with gotcha. because it, it just allows you to nest pages and, and um, you know, you can copy Markdown and paste it in uh, and, and throw in links to e emails and the rest. So I use craft um, increasingly. And uh, I'll, I'll just mention finally that I, I use this app called Working Copy, which is probably a little bit outside the typical work case of most people, but it is a client for GitHub. And I'm not a developer. I've already established that, but I like to, um, my publisher ha is kind of transparent by principle. And so all of our PDFs and um, markdown documents and other formats and every contract and all the rest, they're in GitHub for the public to see. And I use this app called Work Working Copy to basically, um, to use the language of GitHub, um, kind of commit, but which is to say like send yeah. uh, updates to, to, it's like a storage facility that, um, that, that people can access 
because all of the stuff from my publisher is open access and free. So uh, I, I really like that app as well, Working Copy. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up two things. One is shortcuts, because it's personally, I think it's one of the most underrated apps on iPhone and iPad in general, because there's so much you can do with it. And, you know, a lot of the criticism that surrounds Siri not being smart is solved by shortcuts, which is good and bad on Apple's part because people have to then seek out these functions and and you know program stuff on their own. It's not stuff that Siri just knows because you can call any shortcut by using Siri. You know, like I have a shortcut uh, set up right now where I, I tell my HomePod, you know, it's time to game, and she turns on my Xbox, which is done through a script that goes through a Raspberry Pi that then connects to my Xbox and it turns on my Xbox and it starts playing music. So like there's there's little things like that that you can create as long as you have the time to sit down and, and figure it out. But there's a lot of small things that Shortcuts does as well that I truly enjoy, like combining screenshots. I talked about that last episode. But there's a shortcut I use every single day right now, and that's it plays a random album from my library, my mu- my Apple Music library, that I haven't listened to in a while. And it was one I just randomly found. It might have been on Routine Hub or one of the shortcut sharing websites. I don't I don't remember where, but it has surfaced some of the my favorite albums I haven't listened to in years, and it's so good like that it it knows hey you've been listening to this a lot. I'm going to play this album and it can do that within a matter of seconds. So what are some of your favorite shortcuts that maybe aren't work related that you use on a daily basis? Yeah, well, I'll just say that I run my life with shortcuts, I would say. (laughs) I mean, I use the app constantly and it is so user-friendly and has got lots of improvements in the last round, including folders, but many other things. And I use um, the shortcuts widget, even though the iPad doesn't currently support much real estate for widgets. I use the big one that has eight of them and I stack them three. um, And I basically use each of those eight spots on on the three stacks to um, launch menus that that are related to any aspect of my life, gotcha. um, including some of the work stuff I've been talking about. I mean, I've been inspired by David Sparks, who um, has that Mac Power Users and um, uh, uh, podcast, and also Automators, um, yeah. both of which I recommend. Uh, but this idea of like contextual computing, where you take um, like a menu, and, and one of the greatest uh, um, shortcut actions is to choose from menu. And I have deep links to maybe a uh, um, you know, an Airtable database or to a craft document or all of them related to a single project, even a life project around my house or something like that. Um, and what, and I also have a bunch of them that are related to timers. So uh, some of uh, us use toggle and there's a great iOS app called timery that basically sits on top of toggle and has some really nice shortcut actions. And so I will, um, do something kind of like you will do, but I have a menu of different timers, but it's not just the timer that I use the shortcut to trigger. It's also a um, album or um, like a new music mix or yeah. something like that. Right. And, uh, and, and then a series uh, and, and then I have a similar shortcut when I stop that asks me if I want to um, go to a habit tracker or um, go to my task manager, which is things. Um, so anyway, I, I tend to use it for work-related stuff for the most part, um, but it is indispensable. It might be the main thing um, 
that differentiates the Mac from the iPad now. Um, it would make it the hardest for me to go the opposite direction. 100%. And I never would have guessed that um, initially. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because there's rumor that you know the next version of Mac OS is going to add shortcuts. And on one hand, I'm really excited because then I could do a lot of the stuff when I am on my Mac uh, that I do on my iPad without having to switch between devices. But uh, at the same time, I, I just, I think it's going to, I don't know, it's upsetting to me and I don't know how to describe it. Like I, I, I want that to remain an iPhone and iPad only feature because I've, that's how it's been used. I, I used it since workflow as well before Apple bought it and, you know, built it into iOS. So it, it's, it's a great app. Another one I want to mention I have that I absolutely love and use multiple times a day is I can tell a home pod that it's time to eat, which means turn off all the Apple TVs in the house. So my kids know <laughs> it's time to eat. Uh, it starts playing music, uh, a random playlist that is kid appropriate. And then it puts my phone and my watch on do not disturb so that I have no distractions for that entire meal. And I can focus instead of hearing dings and wondering what that was. Um, I can focus on the meal and spend time with the family. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can do if you really dig into it. Matthew Casanelli, one of the people who worked on workflow, he has a website now where he dives deeply into shortcuts all the time um, in a Slack group where you can ask and get help from. I highly recommend signing up for that and joining it because you can get help on pretty much everything you you would need. Um, the other app you brought up I want to talk about just, just briefly was Working Copy. I recently uh, bought this app as well, and I'm using it for two reasons. One is I rebranded my main website, jasoncipriani.com, um, using blot.im. Have you heard of this website? No, I haven't. Okay, so it's a publishing website that instead of having to install WordPress or one of these other overcomplicated, right? Simplicity is everything for me. One of these overcomplicated uh, website managing hosts things, you basically write markdown files and upload images and to your GitHub, well, to a GitHub account that's created when you sign up. You can use Dropbox as well, but I don't know many people who use Dropbox anymore. Um, and it takes these text files or markdown files and turns it into a blog post. And so when I found this, I was like, okay, I'm going to go with the GitHub route. What do I need to do to manage this for my iPad? And working copy was the number one choice of all the research I did. So I downloaded it, messed with the trial for a bit, but it integrates with shortcuts as well. So if I find a tweet that I want to post as a blog post, or if I want to fire something off from IA Writer, I just tap a couple of buttons, it formats it, commits and pushes it to my GitHub account and I have a, a blog post within a matter of minutes and I could write it all in Markdown and go in and edit it. I, if you don't know GitHub and the push, pull, commit, fetch, all that stuff, I think it's good to learn it, at least have a basic understanding of what all those terms mean and what they do because stuff like that's only going to get more common. I mean, if blogs are starting to use GitHub to host you know, their articles and their images and everything else. It's, it, uh, it, it, you know, it's only a matter of time before it's, it's more mainstream and it's a good to know that terminology. There's a decent chance I'll be remaking my website with uh, this tool <laughs> um, yeah. after we uh, finish. So yeah, thanks for <laughs> mentioning that. And um, on, on the shortcuts point, I'll just make a, a last comment that there's this really interesting and exciting like ecosystem of, uh, I don't know, like supplementary apps that that work with short, shortcuts and make it better. Yeah. Um, and I, I know we don't have time to talk about them, but I'll just mention Toolbox Pro, which essentially 
doesn't exist as its own app. It is an app, but it um, donates, you could say, um, lots of additional shortcut actions that Apple hasn't provided and that other apps haven't provided. And I use that all the time. Uh, and maybe I'll mention just one more, which is Data Jar, which is an, an app that works with shortcuts that allows you to store data, like maybe a bunch of email addresses really? or websites. It's like you hold on to, um, it, it, it's like having variables that stick around that um, you can send to this app called Data Jar and then pull back. It's like a storage shelf for shortcuts. Um, See, I'd heard of Toolbox Pro, but I had not heard of Data Jar. That's interesting. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I really re recommend it. So you obviously know quite a bit and are very plugged into the iPad and Mac and Apple community. Where where would you recommend someone who wanted to get started with learning more about, you know, either working on your Mac or your iPad or any of the apps you've mentioned, sh shortcuts, anything else? Like, what are some of your favorite communities to go look up that information from? Yeah, I really do like MacStories.net and their whole universe. The Federico Vitici I mentioned is the original inspiration. Uh, they have this monthly newsletter, Club Mac Stories, that I like too. And they focus, even though Mac is in the name, on the iPad quite a lot. Um, and so I, I recommend that. Also, I mentioned the Automators podcast. There's a really great forum that um, is attached to that that I like as well in a really welcoming community. You can ask questions um, and, and many of the posts are around iPad OS and iOS. Um, and, you know, I, I guess the last thing is that I, the David Sparks I mentioned, he has a series of kind of video books, you could say, that are really great for getting into um, iPad topics. Um, they, some of them cost a few dollars, but it, uh, they're, they're really well done. Yeah, there's a lot of good resources, a lot of good communities around this. And the one thing I love the most about it is everyone's willing to help everybody, right? Like learning how to work on an iPad can be a struggle at times, and it could be a long process because you're retraining your brain on how it has to work with the information you have at hand, whether it's data in a sheet or an Airtable like you're talking about, or just text. There's a retraining of your brain in order to work. So there's a lot of hurdles and stumbling blocks you come up against, and sometimes you need help. So having those communities that you could reach out to is a big part of it. So thanks for sharing those. Those are all three of them I'm aware of. And yeah, I back up your your stance on it. They're, they're good places to uh, be plugged into. So a couple more questions for you, and then we'll close out here. Uh, so you already mentioned what you rely on your Mac to, to use, you know, for a few different aspects. Is there anything else that you didn't touch on there where if Apple were to make changes to the iPad, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have to go to your Mac? Yeah, very quickly, I will just say that I use Hazel, which is a, a an app that kind of sweeps and watches folders on your Mac. Yeah, I use um, it too. To, it's great. Yeah, and they distribute files around. And you can't have a Hazel right now on iOS or iPadOS because of the sandboxing. Uh, and and so I, I still rely on, on Hazel for that. I, I mentioned OCR, which is optical character recognition. And I do use like the best-in-class Adobe Acrobat Pro because I need to take like big, big documents and reduce their size and OCR them. Uh, the the other major piece is is Zoom, frankly, the Zoom camera or the uh, the, the change to um, if if there is to be a new iPad Pro, I would love to see the web camera, the facing one, be on the landscape side. Yeah. Um, 
And, and of course, that software fix I mentioned um, around allowing you to multitask while Zoom is on. So I'm absolutely tethered to my Mac when I'm on Zoom, more or less, except for casual things. Um, so I'd love to see uh, the, uh, um, that landscape camera. Um, and and if, if anything, in my wish list for iOS 15, I want to see a um, big uh, improvement on the widgets uh, along the lines of the iPhone in iOS 14 so that we can use the whole home screen for widgets um, and, uh, and and some love for mail and even contacts. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned mail already. And I, you know, I've been impressed, even though it's taken a while, that Apple came along and vastly improved the Notes app and, and has done almost the same level of, of, of care with reminders. Um, and yes, I feel like yeah. mail just just is in desperate need of improvement. I happen to use Spark most of the time, um, which is the Rattle app. And it's not perfect. And I do use mail sometimes as well, but I would love to see um, some long needed improvements to mail, including the ones you mentioned, but also just the ability to share out an email. Um, There's no uh, share sheet (laughs) at all, um, among many other modern features that you would expect in an app. I have tried so many times to use a third-party mail app, be it on Mac, iPhone, or iPad, and I always end up back with Apple's mail app. And I don't know if it's just because it's so ingrained in my workflow. I honestly loathe the app. I I really don't like it that much. It it annoys me. I I have a a paid Google account, G Suite. I don't remember what they changed the name to recently. Um, They've changed it so many times over the years. But so it, it... it's, you know, I added the account to my iPad or iPhone as a, a Google account, and it treats it as exchange account on the back end. But what happens is when I archive or delete an email, it keeps showing up in my inbox. Like it's gone. It's not there. If I log into gmail.com or if I go to the mail app on my Mac, it's no longer in my inbox. But on iOS and iPad OS, that email stays there. And it's random when it decides to do it. And the only way to get rid of those emails that decide to stick around, because it, it may be one or it may be 20 in a row, is to either delete the account from my iPad or, or iPhone altogether, which is a hassle, or turn off mail for that account, wait you know, a good 30 seconds or so, and then turn it back on. And sometimes that works. And, and so like... Overall, it's not my favorite app, but I just I just can't kick it for whatever reason. I've tried Spark, I've tried all the other third party solutions, and and I just I just can't make them stick, and I I don't know why. And I desperately, like you said, for iPad OS fifteen, like if if Apple came out and said we redid the Mail app for iPad, I'd be over the moon. Like there's a lot of other stuff I want, but that if they started there, I I wouldn't care what else they said for the rest of the keynote. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I would be right there with you. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you kind of already touched on it. I was going to ask what hardware changes you wanted to see in the next iPad Pro, because like we've said, there have been rumors that in March, Apple is expected to announce a new iPad Pro with hopefully a little bit of a new design and a different type of display. At least that's what the rumors indicate. But you you mentioned one thing that I want as well, and that is the camera to be the front facing FaceTime camera to be moved to the landscape side instead of the portrait side. Is there anything else that you want to see? Yeah, I mean, I would love to just have the nice, new, shiny A14 
um, X chip that they'll likely put in it. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I would actually love to see an even bigger sized iPad Pro. Yeah. I mean, this isn't uh, something I'm going to hold out for. But even though I started back in 2013 with that iPad mini on this kind of iPad exclusive journey, I really like the ability to see three columns and to multitask. And I find that the current 12.9 is perfectly portable. Um, so I, I could go even a bit bigger um, and that would be a, a pretty great uh, improvement. Um, otherwise, most of the changes that I would recommend are gonna have to wait till iOS 15 because they're software things. And right. I won't go into them, but I just feel like the hardware is already so impressive um, and and it has it packs more punch than almost anyone unless you're in sort of audio visual processing and so on could ever want so i'm holding out for uh the wwdc <laughs> ios 15 um, yes. um, improvements that 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 i think are the the major things that we're waiting on well, I, I think Apple might surprise us. You know, they usually release a big update with new hardware. Um, and last year they released a fairly big update with 13.4 with the trackpad support on the Magic Keyboard, which, like you said, was a total game changer for iPad as a whole. Um, so we may see some software features with iPad OS 14.5, which is currently in beta right now. We haven't found any. No one's found any, which was the case last year as well. So who knows? Maybe they have some tricks up their sleeve. Uh, I'm with you there, though. A bigger iPad would be nice. I've been connecting mine to an external monitor quite a bit lately. Um, and even though it doesn't have dedicated external monitor support, just screen mirroring, most of the time there are some apps that do some funky stuff with external displays that just doesn't work for me. Uh, you know, I've, I found myself getting quite a bit of work done on it, but one thing I want to see for iPadOS 15, I will jump ahead, is better multitasking. The way it works now works, but it th there's too many hiccups, too many gotchas with, for example, editing text, right? If you have two text documents open side by side, knowing which document is the active one and there's that pill up at the top that's supposed to highlight itself and let you know that this one's the active one but that only works like half the time it's not a all-in-one solution that works 100% of the time so there's a lot of a lot of fixes that need to go into multitasking that I, is worth an entire podcast probably of griping about that I could come up with but uh, yeah we'll wait until June when we see more of the big leap hopefully as far as iPad OS 15 goes. Well, you're definitely speaking my language on the text issue uh, on multitasking <laughs> yeah. and the rest. So uh, count me as a plus one on that. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's nothing more annoying to start typing, it, looking at one document and start typing and the other document is where you're actually at and it's the completely wrong place. But Jeff, I, I really, truly appreciate you, you know, joining me today and taking time out of your day. I know you have a lot going on. Obviously, we just covered a lot of it. Um, and so it means a lot to me. So thank you very much for, for coming on here. Your knowledge blew my mind. It, you know, you're, you know quite a bit about iPad and iPad OS and, and all the apps and, and, you know, really, truly an invaluable, uh, uh, you know, resource in and of itself. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Yeah, this was awesome. This was, this was a good show, I feel like. And if you think it was a good show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. You could visit workbeyondmac.com. Find it in your favorite podcast app, Overcast, uh, Pocket Cast, Apple, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And leave us a review as well. I'd truly appreciate that. You know, give honest feedback. That's what I'm looking for. I want to make this show enjoyable for me, the guest, and the listener. You know, without that 
there isn't much here to build off of. So, you know, leave a review, reach out to me on Twitter at Mr. Sippy, look up Work Beyond Mac on Twitter at Work Beyond Mac. So thanks again for joining this episode. And now let's get to work. <laughs>